Hello. This week, the BBC has announced that they're preparing to launch new spin-off digital radio stations, subject to passing a public interest test from Ofcom. Extensions for radios 1, 2 and 3 will, according to the BBC, give more choice, especially to those who currently are underserved by the BBC and whom Ofcom have challenged the BBC to do more for. These stations will not be available to those without access to the internet. According to Ofcom last year, 7% of UK households did not have internet access at home. 18% of households in socio-economic band DE say they don't have internet access. And 18% of people aged over 65 don't have it either. This announcement has, not surprisingly, gone down like a lead balloon with the commercial station Boom Radio, which has asked the regulator Ofcom to block what Boom calls a panic move by the BBC to win back disillusioned other listeners. Some of those listeners seem to afford Ken Bruce to Greatest Hits Radio, but many have flocked to the new starter Boom Radio, which, after only two years, has well over half a million listeners. Boom Radio said, There's no need for a new BBC radio station to play music from the 50s to the 70s, there already is one, called Boom. A spokesperson added, Why should anyone invest money in setting up a new radio station when the BBC can just come along and create a copycat station when it's shown to be a success? Boom also wondered where the BBC is getting the money from, as it is having to make cuts elsewhere, such as in local radio. As it happens, I talked to one of the founders of Boom Radio shortly before the unexpected BBC announcement on Wednesday. I was mainly interested in his views on BBC Local Radio, which in many people's eyes is in big trouble. My mailbox is full of former managers and producers bewailing what is happening. Does the new policy need to be urgently reviewed? Well, someone who thinks so is David Lloyd. David has worked for over 40 years in radio, from LBC to Virgin to BBC Local Radio. He also has regulatory experience from his years at the UK Radio Authority, that's now part of Ofcom. He's a broadcaster and a co-founder of the new UK station for baby boomers, Boom Radio, whose audiences are very much on the up. David Lloyd, thank you very much for joining us, and um, congratulations are in order, I think. Uh, you're... New station, Boom Radio. The audiences are going up again. You've got what? How many have you got listeners now? Just It's about two-thirds of a million, yeah. Um, we've got more 55-plusers listening now than we've ever had. And we are delighted because they're listening for a long period of time each week as well. So yeah, one of the most loyal audiences to any UK radio station. And what made you think a couple of years ago that there was a gap in the market here? Because uh, most of us would have thought Radio 2 had all this sort of you know, sealed up. Traditionally, commercial radio has owned younger audiences and the BBC has owned older audiences and that's been the case for, for some time. But Radio 2 was shifting and uh, and I can thoroughly understand that. I understand exactly what the strategy is and I don't have any problem with that whatsoever. It makes makes a lot of sense. But it did leave, when they sort of moved ground a little bit to, towards, you know, 25, 44s, it left some people aged in their 60s probably thinking is this still the radio station for me when so many of the personalities moved on and the, the, the music changed. 
And the same was true, actually, with BBC Local Radio, again, not caring about 55 pluses in the way they used to. So I thought, well, there's this latent audience. Could we create a radio station aimed just at them? And we did some research and suggested that, uh, that, that we could. It's not easy, bearing in mind, actually, the commercial revenues for older audiences are not very good whatsoever. Not much value is attached to them, ironically, by advertising agencies and the like. But if we could run it fairly economically as we have done from people's homes, then we could uh, make a go of it. And we have, and it's been, it's been the most remarkable chapter of my career. Now, I heard a rumour, and I wonder if it's true, that you actually don't pay your presenters. What you say is, if anybody ever takes you over, you'll have some shares and you'll make some money. Is that true? Not at all. No, we pay our presenters. We didn't pay them much at the beginning. I phoned them all up and said, well, let's go on a journey. We can't pay you much at the outset, but we'll carry on paying you. And I said, when things go well, we'll pay you more. And we've done that to every single person. So, yes, they are all paid. Now, of course, uh, if you were trying to raise money from the city, or uh, they would almost inevitably say to you, well, hold on, this is a, well, should we say declining, actually, almost a dying audience. Eventually, you'll be stuck. If you keep only focusing on this age group and only playing music from the 60s and 70s and so on, um, well, you see, we're going to end up. No, it's about serving a particular generation. We are serving people aged between 60 and 75, principally, and I think there'll always be people aged between 60 and 75. So we will move as the generations move, just as when Heart was set up, it targeted women principally aged 30 to 39, and just about still does. So we will carry on doing that. Now, it's sensible, obviously, if you're uh, developing a new company to concentrate on younger audiences. But presumably you think that a public service broadcast has, to, has a still a residual responsibilities for 55 plus. Is this why you're so critical now about this lo- BBC local radio strategy? Really, I should be absolutely delighted that the BBC has royally messed up local radio, bearing in mind they attract a lot of 55-pluses. So, you know, I'm having this competing business target, and I should be really pleased that they messed But I'm not, because I care about radio. I care about the BBC's reputation. I will defend the BBC as far as I possibly can, because I truly believe in it. And I am just utterly bemused why they have managed to ruin the network. You know, I would say it wasn't particularly well run, but it's now ebbed into being run in a scandalous fashion. Well, hold on a second. The BBC would say uh, we have to move to digital. That's where our younger audiences are. It's in where they say we're not cutting the money. We're just redistributing it and uh, we're, we're pushing more. Yes, digitally. And that's the way we should go. Um, you know, we've lost, uh, what, 30% of uh, or more if uh, the licence we value in real terms the last 10 years. We have to make choices, but we're not cutting local radio. We're investing in the future. Rather, unfortunately, the audiences appear to be going down, and they're now below, I think, 5 million. Um, are you saying that strategy is wrong or that they're going in the right direction, but they're going too quickly? I don't understand really what they're doing, and I'm not sure what they do too. I mean, this thing about move to digital, I mean, everything's digital. Radio is digital. It's all digital. What they've done is take money out of radio, linear radio, and put it into digital news, as though one substitutes the other, failing to realise, actually, that the value attached to local radio is companionship, somebody by your side, somebody who knows your area, a communication, a human communication, somebody who's with you to put your arm around you in times of crisis in that community. That's what what radio does beautifully. It's the relationship between presenter and audience, and that is not substituted by online news. I don't think anyone disputes the fact that people are now going online for news. Figures 
prove that all, all too well. But why do you have to substitute one for the other when that is not a, a sensible substitution? Well, you don't go online for companionship, do you, really, usually? Well, you certainly don't go to online news for companionship. You don't. And the other way is that... It would have been easy to get more content online just by running their existing stations better. There are radio journalists who are frustrated that they can't get the stories online. They're not allowed to. These silos. Sorry, sorry, they're not allowed to get stories online. There are, or there have been, silos between, and I've I've managed within the BBC for a while, there are silos. So if you're a BBC local radio journalist, it's very difficult to get your story online. It's not a case of, as would happen in other newsrooms around the world, that actually... These things are brought together. These are in silos. The online newsroom, the TV newsroom, the radio newsroom. So now there's a plan to bring them together. Well, they should have done that ages ago. All they had to do was stand up there in a radio station and say, OK, this is the new plan. We want more content online. We're all going to work together. That would have solved it in a week rather than a year of devastation. Now, we're talking about it in terms of local radio, but at certain times of the day, of course, people see local radio isn't local at all. It's regional. Now, that just from my own relatively limited experience in the past, is fatal because there's no alternative to being local. You're local radio, you're not local. And do you think that's a fundamental error? to give, to, to, to com- You can see why you do it from budgetary reasons, but to combine, as it were, pre- budgets together and combine different local radio stations so what you deliver for them is not specific to one particular location it's generally applicable to the north or the south or the west people define their own area for themselves you know what's local to you and you know what's not and organizations that bring areas together for convenience will never ever meet the particular tastes and interests of the individuals and the the BBC is supposed to be bringing together sort of neighboring areas and they define that in a in a sort of bureaucratic way but frankly people don't care people don't care about a neighboring area they care about their area and so this policy of making these regions, I mean they're not even regional regions, they're not even established regions, they are dreaming at the most outrageous sort of mega areas that they define as a cohesive region when it would take you a day to drive around it it doesn't make any sense whatsoever the trend of course is to hyperlocal, the trend's the opposite way, if you look at what's happening in press and online there are lots and lots of community and neighbourhood media operations uh, being established, so the trend Trend is the opposite direction. And what do you think there's potential actually for getting more local? Absolutely. Uh, if you like, if you use the new technology, you could almost do local radio opt-outs to very small parts of the city. Not quite, but into small parts of the city. If you took uh, it took Radio Cumbria for example, or something like that, which you know relatively small numbers but large area, based in Carlisle, but. People feel very differently on the West Coast, you know, down to Maryport, Workington, places like that. They feel different just over the border in Annan. You could actually have a local station, but actually within that, with the new technology, you could go very, even more local. Absolutely. I I think the BBC has failed to grasp how things have moved on. This is like a a 1980s plan for radio, just just make the the patches bigger. When, as you say, what it should have done is say, okay, what can we do with today's technology? First of all, you don't need these huge premises they've got. You don't need as many people. You know, let's repurpose all that resource. We can make this more efficient and we can make it better, tailored to very much smaller areas. And you can see some of these community stations now um, setting up, whether you look at... uh, 
the, the fine one in Rutland run by Rob Pisani or the one in, in Shaftesbury with Kerry Jones. These sorts of operations run by a couple of people. Their localness far, far, far exceeds what's coming out of a, a well-funded public service broadcast, and that should not be the case. And you're still saying it's well-funded, despite, as I said, you know, the cuts that have reduced the value of the license by over 30%. You're still saying that local radio, I've heard this from other people actually as well, is not badly funded. It's the funds aren't being spent in the right way. I've sat in BBC local radio stations and I, I just am puzzled as to how on earth they're being run, why on earth they cost as much as they do. I mean, they started off with £119 million on content alone. I mean, not transmission, £119 million pounds on content. That's been reduced a little bit in the recent changes. But if you give you know, a proportion of that to a sensible human being and ask them to create a great local radio station, they could. Well, some of the part of the BBC defence would be, uh, more generally, speech radio is down, so it's wrong to single out local radio here. The figures for speech radio as a whole are going down a little bit. They'd also say that they haven't introduced in all of the areas of BBC local radio the changes that people tend to attribute the loss of audience to. Therefore, they would say it's probably a bit premature to make the judgment. Do you think there's any validity in those arguments? If I were them, I'd say exactly the same things as they're doing. And I've uh, I've spun radio figures as, as, as well as anybody. But let's look at the figures for BBC Local Radio. In the last year, they've lost just under 800,000 listeners. And these, you know, these were fairly loyal BBC local radio listeners. So, uh, you know, the, the suggestion is that speech radio has had a bad quarter. Well, actually, the BBC runs an awful lot of speech radio, so it has to look to itself as to why that's happened. It's got four and five live and all the others. So, they, 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 you know, they're responsible for a shed load of it. But if we go back to last quarter, last quarter, if you look back to the year leading up to the last quarter, that was still down half a million. So, first of all, I don't think we can say this is just some sort of market force. This is BBC local radio, no longer pleasing its audience. The evidence is clear to see. And as far as timing is concerned, let's remember these redundancies were first, or the plan was first mooted well over a year ago. You've had a year of devastation. You've had a year of distraction. People have thought to themselves, presenters on the air who want to feel at their best and communicate with their audience, is my job safe? You know, that's not the best place for a broadcaster to be. These radio stations have been affected by these changes. And some of the some of the presenters, of course, went six months ago or more. So the results of those changes already clear to see. And judging by the de- serious decline this time around, it's not going to get better anytime soon. I should make the most of your 4.8 million while you have it, frankly. Well, I think it's nine of the 39 stations are operating new schedules uh, for this radio period. There were Berkshire, Cambridgeshire, Essex, Norfolk, North Ants, Oxford, Solent, Suffolk and the three counties. Can, can you say any difference in their figures with with figures elsewhere. Can you make that sort of judgment? I can't see. As I say, it's the distraction of the whole exercise. Even if your station has not yet been affected, you knew what was coming. There were demoralised people running those radio stations, wondering if they still got a job. So I would say that these changes have impacted on all those radio stations. That's why the network's gone down. But looking at the loyalty level, and I look very carefully at this. This is not the number of people listening. It's how happy they are with the radio station. How long are they spending with it? And you see figures for some of the stations you know, four and a half hours per week for Leeds, four hours in Oxford, Nottingham 5.4. These are the most astonishingly low figures for a format of this sort, a companionable format. Usually stations like these would punch fairly significant uh, levels of loyalty, and they're not because people are falling out of love with them.
Now, if I go back about a thousand years when I was a head of network production centre in Manchester, well, maybe not a thousand, but not far off, um, in the same building as I was, were lots of people in local radio and we chatted about things, and you really got the feeling from them was that they felt the BBC management centrally were not interested in local radio. And they would quote to me examples of managing directors of television raising the question about why the BBC needs local radio at all. So 40 years ago, people were in local radio felt that they were misunderstood. And when you look at the representation of local uh, radio on BBC boards, again, they're not very well or significantly represented. So the BBC hasn't seemed to solve this problem about persuading people at the centre that local radio really matters. And and it's astonishing, if this is true, that this fault line almost has continued since uh, BBC Local Radio started. It is unappreciated at the centre. Am I exaggerating, or is that your your impression as well? It's a, a typically sensible observation, Roger. You know, Gillard really fought to get BBC Local Radio on the air in the first place. That was Frank Gillard who established it, yeah. Frank Gillard in, in, in 1967, and since then it's ebbed and flowed. And I hinted at that earlier. I was saying, you know, BBC Local Radio wasn't perfect before these changes. It's just getting more and more imperfect. You know, you had that whole period where it's managed as part of the news division when it wasn't really news. So the whole direction was slightly wrong and the, sl- the programme management of it was slightly wrong, but the great people in charge and some of the great broadcasters managed just to rise above that and, and just do, do, the be- do the very little that they they had to do to please the centre and get on and do their job well. And there's, there's some fine managers doing that. So you have that period in news. And then we had the, the current regime, which, and that's, you know, some of the current managers who are masterminding this uh, particular level of changes, you know, they were there in 2021 as COVID struck. And suddenly we had the, the four hour shows, a change in music policy, a change in the sorts of presenters being hired. So this has been around for three or four years now. And, and now we come to where we are. So I would agree that BBC Local Radio from the centre has never been particularly well managed. In the stations themselves, there are some very gifted people trying to do their best. It's also amazingly politically naive of the BBC because uh, no local MP is going to go on a local radio station and say it should be cut back or cut down. So actually, although you've got a large number of critical MPs, particularly in the Conservative Party, what they aren't critical about largely is local radio, particularly if they're representing somewhere outside the major cities. They know how much it means to their community. They're supporters of local radio. So there is this sort of paradox that in Parliament, in many ways, you've got a greater support for local radio than you often have, it seems to me, anyway, at the centre of the BBC. You're so concerned about this that you want there to be an independent review. Uh, do Do you think there's any chance that the BBC or the new incoming chairman of the BBC, Sami Ishar, would actually agree to this? I do not know. I have been writing to uh, head office at the BBC, everybody I can think of at the BBC who could affect change, making the case that you did not consult effectively on these changes. These are the wrong changes. This is not the way. I, I understand your wish to run things economically and put more money to news. That's fine. But this is not the right way. And this is a devastating blow. And I'm just hopeful that somebody, somebody will listen. I'm waiting to hear from the new chair. Well, if the new chair doesn't, uh, theoretically, we've got a regulator. Uh, Ofcom, it's responsible for seeing that government's intentions are fulfilled uh, and and checking on the performance of various broadcasters. It's quite happy to be critical about the BBC in some areas. Do you think, and of course it says that it conducted, I think, a survey uh, to see whether or not uh, there was public support for the 
BBC local radio proposals, or that's what I think they said. What, what actually happened, David? Ofcom took over the responsibility, the regulatory responsibility from the BBC Trust. And I was concerned that the, the Ofcom did not do what it should have done at that very point when they started it, because they should have drafted an operating licence which effectively safeguarded not only what the Trust required, but what the BBC was doing in effect. And what the BBC was doing in effect was providing very localised radio stations. Now, that wasn't safeguarded in the first Ofcom operating licence. So I think that was the first failure because the BBC, of course, has taken advantage of the freedoms of the, 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 the regulations to do all this networking and more. So we come to where we are now and they're revising this uh, operating licence. And they say they have consulted. Indeed, they have a set of uh, consultation principles uh, that they seek to abide by. And it says they should aim to uh, talk to the widest possible number of people. This is the Ofcom, the regulator we're talking about, not the BBC. Ofcom, yeah. The regulator in changing the BBC's operating licence is required to you know, seek the views of as, uh, as many people as it can. Those are virtually the words of its own principles. And I would suggest it has not done that very effectively. When I've written to complain about this, they say, yes, we have. And I said, well, no, no, you haven't. Because if you look at the number of people who replied, it is paltry. Uh, the number of individuals is a handful. The number of people who mentioned BBC Local Radio is two or three. Sorry, sorry. In response to a nationwide or UK-wide, well, nationwide anyway, um, survey, Two, only two or three ordinary individuals as opposed to organisations responded. Well, is that because, in your view, the document was frankly impenetrable? I mean, this is, we're not talking presumably here about, you know, two pages that people will, can look through. How many were, what were we looking at? 30? 40? These were huge documents, and one of them was 108 pages. And let's remember, this was a consultation not just about BBC Local Radio. It was about the whole regulation of the BBC. So as a BBC Local Radio listener, concerned about the radio station that I've grown to love over the years, I would have to read this huge document, get through to the bits about local radio, translate them into normal speak, because they talk about how many thousands of hours of local... Well, I'm not going to sit there and divide weeks by... Uh, it, it, it was a, it's a business-to-business consultation. It did not make clear what was happening to BBC Local Radio. And that's why there was such a little, uh, such little response from, from listeners. And even the responses that they were uh, didn't focus on the changes because they were not clear. And I think it's so self-apparent that that particular consultation was flawed. I don't know how they managed to defend it. Well, you have some experience yourself, not very long, but some experience as a regulator. So if you were going to, if you were running Ofcom now and you said, I'm concerned about uh, what's happening in local radio and, and concerned about what the audience and the licence payers in particular think about this, how would you go about it, David? Ofcom's expressed some reservations about the BBC's plans. Uh, they wrote a letter to the BBC saying we're not quite sure what the, the plans are, blah, blah, blah. Uh, and they insisted that they would do some research and they, they, they pursue this and look into it very carefully. But nothing's happened yet and the damage is being done. So to answer your question, what would I do? I think it, it is up to the consultation champion. Ofcom have a, a particular person in office called the consultation champion. It's their job to make sure consultations have been conducted carefully. I would suggest that that consultation chairman can only agree that this was improper and if this consultation was improper the decisions that spring from it are not sustainable 
Now, it seems to me that we've been in a situation for the last uh, few years anyway where we've had um, light-touch regulation, shall we say, uh, Ofcom under instructions, I should think, from the government trying to let a thousand flowers bloom. Also, the BBC, apart from being attacked over the issue of impartiality, has a lot of pressure put on it financially and is beginning to construct and has been told effectively that the licence fee is doomed and therefore has been creating a business for the future which is probably not dependent on the licence fee. But if you prepare something in the future in that way, you are inevitably drawn towards more commercial projects, one which will return revenue and audience. What is missing, it seems to me, in all of this is a proper debate about what public service broadcasting or the media is or should be for the next decade. If there was such an open discussion, surely the importance of local radio would be one thing which would feature heavily and it might then be possible both to get a proper debate about it and then also maybe for the BBC to change its policies. I'm just struck by the absence of this wider public service debate. Am I missing something, David? I think you're right, and that's certainly true in the case of local, because just drawing back, local media has changed amazingly in recent years. You know, your local papers have suffered. Some of them have disappeared completely. Online uh, news has sprung up. Local commercial radio stations, the flavour that they had has changed enormously. It's all changed, and I think it's incumbent upon the BBC to say, OK, certainly in terms of localness, what is the objective here? What do people value about it? What should we do and what can we afford to do? And I think anybody with an ounce of common sense could bring together a coherent plan which would be more efficient. It would cost less than the current plan. And I note at the moment Ofcom are are consulting on, you know, this this local uh, media issue generally. Isn't it a bit late when you've taken these hammer blows to this network? David Lloyd, thank you very much. Thank you. Remember, all our paid members will receive the podcast almost a week in advance. So if you want to hear it first, please sign up now to patreon.com forward slash bwatch. You'll also receive my blog every week. All this costs only £1.99 per month. I hope you think that's a bargain. And that's it for this week. As you know, this podcast is presented by me, Roger Bolton, and it's produced by Kate Dixon. The sound is by Dave Kitto. And special thanks to Quinn Genty. It's a Good Egg production. Until next time, goodbye.